Let's look at uh, Exodus chapter number 20. All right, we're going to plod right along through our study through the, uh, the Ten Commandments. We're on the Sixth Commandment tonight, Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 13. Exodus 20, verse number 13. All right. The Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. Exodus 20, verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. All right, let's pray. Lord in heaven, as we come look at your word, first of all, I thank you for your word and for your people. And for the grace of God is, that's obviously working in each one of your, your children's lives. Lord, you know our faults. You know our, our failures. Lord, you know our strengths that you've given us. Lord, you know, Lord, where we've stumbled and you've know, you know the victories that we've enjoyed as well. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to see family over the past several days and uh, the opportunity to spend time with people we love to share gifts, and uh, enjoy that, those things. We thank you as well for the fact that this world is forced to acknowledge the birth of Christ at this time of year. Though, they, uh, though many of them loathe to acknowledge it, but yet this, uh, this is a time when they, uh, we go through the, the grocery stores and we hear songs giving you praise and glory, even though many don't, don't recognize it. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for uh, your people that are here tonight and those that are listening that can't be here. And thank you that, Lord, your word will not go forth void, but will accomplish that for which you've sent it. And as we look at this sixth commandment of your holy law that gives us an understanding about what is good and what is evil, what is right and wrong, what is righteous and what is unrighteous, Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding you would help us to see not just what this commandment says on its face, but to dive deep into what uh, you're teaching through it and help us to be keen and understanding in your word. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Thou shalt not kill. That seems like a pretty, it seems like a pretty simple thing, right? It's just uh, only four words. Uh, and all of us in here, I trust, uh, unless somebody has secrets that I'm not aware of. Uh, all of us understand what this means, and none of us have done it. None of us have done it. So this seems on its face to be, to be a rather simple thing, and so we hope and we'll be done in just a few minutes. Uh, but we're going to look at some other verses to kind of see how this is, uh, what this actually, what's, what's underneath what seems to be a simple command. There are many things in the Scripture that are stated plainly, but underneath them is a whole uh, a whole foundation of truth that holds that command up, that is the, the basis behind that command. Thou shalt not kill is one of those. The word, the word for kill, and this is, this, is, this is sometimes the fact that this four-letter word kill is in, is in this command is sometimes thrown in the face of Christians because to the world and to some who do not believe and accept the Scripture, they see this as a contradiction. The fact that this is in the Bible and uh, this commandment is in the Bible, and yet there are many other instances of killing in the Bible. 
I mean, if there's one thing you find a lot in the Bible is the taking of life. This word for kill in, in, uh, in the Bible is, that is translated kill is translated in three ways in our Bible. It's very simple. It's translated slay. It's translated murder. And then as we see it here, it's translated kill. So let's look at this, uh, look at various aspects, starting in Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Just as a, as a question, a trivia question, a Jeopardy question. Where, or I should say this, um, where, where, does, where is, the first, is the first violation of this commandment found in the Bible? Does anybody want to take this, uh, thou shalt not kill? What is it? Cain and Abel. There's actually that you're right. You're right. That is that is the answer. But there's actually one before that. But it's not it's not actually directly in the text. But we'll see that in a little bit. Cain and Abel are the first example of of killing in the Bible. Cain killed his brother Abel. Genesis chapter nine though is after the flood. Now before before Genesis chapter nine, there was no place in the scripture where murder was forbidden. In fact, what, what we read in Genesis chapter 9 with Cain and Abel, as another trivia question, what happened, what was God's punishment for Cain when he killed his brother? Anybody, anybody remember? Yes, sir. So was Cain put to death for killing Abel? No. You see, that law had not been instituted at that point. So Cain, we do not find that in, in Genesis, uh, the first uh, several chapters of Genesis. But when we get to chapter 9, the flood has already happened. And the flood happened because mankind, God saw that mankind was, of course, wicked. But he also saw that he was violent. Violent. That's one thing that God noted about the antediluvian. There's a 10-cent word for you. The pre-flood society is that mankind was violent. They were killing each other. And so, uh, and so we get to Genesis 9, the flood has, uh, has receded, and now, now God, in verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And then we go, drop down to verse number, uh, verse number 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, that is food, even as the green herb have I given you all things, but the flat, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely, follow this now, surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. What is he talking about requiring? That simply means if a man was to shed another man's blood in a murder, God would require that that man's blood be shed. That was God's requirement. That was his law, okay? We see that clearly in verse 6. The Bible says this, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. So after the flood, God instituted, God instituted this new law concerning murder. Now, the basis for the law concerning 
uh, against murder is found in verse number 6. Look at the last part of the verse. This is so important for us to understand this commandment. He says, For in the image of God made he man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Now, God forbids the killing of man. Now, that's where we got to go to. We have to understand Genesis chapter 20. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. The word kill is not, it is not referencing killing animals. Is not reference to killing animals. It is a reference to killing man. Why? Because this command is built on the truth found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that says that mankind and only mankind was made in the image of God. And that means that mankind is of greater value than anything in the animal kingdom. Mankind is distinct and separate. From the animals. Now we know that. We know that innately, despite the propaganda that's pumped into our kids' heads in school and on the news and in every TV show you watch, that mankind is just a higher animal, a more evolved. I said devolved, which is that was a Freudian slip, right? That's what they call it. Exactly. But they say mankind is is just an evolved animal. And so on that basis, they say that man is not really uh, that all that distinct. Uh, from animals, but that is not true. The reason God forbid uh, forbid man from from killing human human beings is because human beings are made in the image of God. They are above animals, and and an animal's life is not equal in value to a man's life. Okay, this is this is an important point, especially when you get into Eastern religion, because Eastern religion various Hinduism, Buddhism, they teach that mankind, when we, when we die, we are reincarnated into other types of creatures. It might be in a different station of life as a human being, but it might be as a lower form of life as an animal. And so therefore, uh, therefore animals and human beings are of similar value, but that's not what the scripture says. Why? One truth. Many, many truths in Scripture that you find later in the Bible are built upon a truth that was found originally in the first couple chapters of Genesis, and this is one of them. Mankind is distinct and different from every other creature because he alone was made in God's image. Therefore, his value is far higher. This is why God forbids killing of human beings. Uh, back, this, this must have been back uh, a number of years ago because I, I looked it up and I remembered this and I looked it up in, uh, on, on the internet and of course if it's on the internet, it's true, so I know it's true. Uh, that, <laughs> this is actually true because I saw it with my own eyes. National Geographic in July of 2008 put out, a, put out a, um, back when they had you know, actual magazines that you could flip through, they put out a magazine of... Uh, of and this was the title this was the the head the leading article it said this who murdered the mountain gorillas who murdered the mountain gorillas 
And I remember seeing that laying on a, like in a, on a waiting room table. I remember seeing that. And I opened it and I read part of the article when they were following these people who had poached, who had been po- trying to find out who was poaching these, uh, these gorillas, mountain gorillas in the Congo. But it's interesting, they, they chose to use the word murder. Killing a gorilla, as much as a gorilla might have features similar to a human being, Killing a gorilla is not murder, nor is it forbidden by God. Nor killing a giraffe or a cat or any other kind of animal that sometimes we love. It might not be ethical in some cases, but it's not a violation of the Sixth Commandment. Why? Because mankind alone was made in the image of God. Mankind alone was made in the image of God. So murder is actually a strike against the value of the human being as God's special creation. Listen, if you take that puzzle piece out of the puzzle, it's like a keystone. You know, on those bridges, those uh, those, uh, arched bridges, at the very top is a keystone. In other words, it's what causes that structure to stand. You take that keystone out out of that bridge, that arch, The whole thing falls. You take the fact that God created man special in his own image and and mankind alone is that, all of the commandments, the, the commandments related to that all come down because they're built on that truth. Now notice what it says in, in verse number, number five or verse number six, rather, whoso sheddeth man's blood, notice by man shall his blood be shed. You know what this is? This is the basis of capital punishment. Because it says, by man shall his blood be shed. In other words, we're not waiting, if if someone commits a murder of a human being, we're not waiting on God to kill that person. God says, I am now at this moment, Genesis 9, 6, requiring that man take that man's life. This is the law. And this is why, this is one of the many places in Scripture that show us that capital punishment is just. Is just. Assuming, of course, that the perpetrator actually committed the crime. It is right. It is righteous. God required it. See, the punishment for murder is life for life. That's what these verses tell us. It is God's prescribed judgment. And if God, listen, you, you, uh, people have different opinions on capital punishment. But here's what we know as a fact, as a fact. If God prescribed this punishment, it was right. That's what we can establish. Because God, God is the standard. He himself is the standard of righteousness. All right, so when we, when we see the verse in, in Exodus 20, verse 13, thou shalt not kill, here we come across the first exception. First of all, we see, based upon this verse, that this is not a reference to killing animals. This is a reference to killing humans, human beings. Number two, we see that there are exceptions in which killing is permitted. The first one is in capital punishment. When a murder is committed, there is a lawful, there is a lawful killing of another human being who is the perpetrator of that murder according to God's Word. And so, this is why I believe, obviously, is what I'm saying, that the Bible teaches that capital punishment is just. But let me ask you a question. 
the punishment, in this case, the capital punishment, in other words, taking a man's life, the punish, does not the punishment itself show you the value of the human being who died, who was, who was murdered? Does it not? What if there was just, you know, you think, about, you think about these people who commit heinous crimes. You see it on the news. You see it on the news. They commit heinous, wicked crimes. And through some loophole in the law, they just kind of skirt around. Maybe they're powerful. Maybe they have a, a high-paid lawyer or something, something like that. And they, they commit a heinous crime. They plead guilty in a plea agreement. And they get a slap on the wrist. The punishment they get, we, we scream. It does not fit the crime, right? That, is that the way you feel when you see that? It's like, it's not right. Do you know why we say that? Because we see the punishment as, as being a measure of the value of, of, of that victim. Well, when a person is murdered, God says the perpetrator must die because that victim is made in the image of God. They are that valuable. Anything less does not match the value of that person. This is the basis for capital punishment. Again, we're talking about thou shalt not kill. Look at Exodus chapter 22. If you would. Exodus 22 verse 2. The Bible says this. Here's another exception when it says thou shalt not kill. People say, oh, well, Christians say, Christians say you can't kill. But look, they kill animals and they, kill, they believe in capital punishment and they believe, that's what they say. well, they want to own guns and which are for killing people, Right? I mean, I have, I have, a, I have several guns. I, I, listen, I don't hunt. Listen, I'll just be honest, honest with you. I don't hunt. I, I feel bad for the animals. I'm just telling you. I go to the grocery store, no animals are harmed. <laughs> I mean, some of you hunt. I, I'm glad you hunt. I'm glad you enjoy it. I've been hunting one time in my life. It's just not my thing, Okay. Now, I'll go to the range all day and shoot if I had enough money to do that. <laughs> it's like $1, $1, $1, $1. <laughs> I would do it. We've been, I, I, we, I've been talking about having a men's outing uh, with, with various people, and uh, someone suggested going shooting. And it's like, well, do we want to pay the power bill at the church or go, or go shooting? But it's very expensive. Now, I go to the range all day. I love shooting. I love shooting. I love guns. I have guns. My guns are for killing people. A pastor is not supposed to say that. My guns are for killing people. I don't kill animals. But if a, but if a person comes into my house in the middle of the night, I'm going to shoot them until they stop moving or I run out of ammunition. Now you say, well, that's not right. You should turn the other cheek. We need to look at what the Bible says on this. Exodus 22, verse 2, look what it says. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. You know what that says? There, here is another example of a permissible killing. Where Now remember what God's high standard was. God's high standard was if a person sheds blood, his blood should be shed. He should die. That's what God said. And in this case, he says he, don't, he shouldn't die. This is part of, what, part of the biblical teaching of self-defense. A permissible killing. If someone comes into your house, you are allowed. 
If, if there is a threat to your family, if there's a threat to your home, you are allowed to apply force to the point of that person's death. And you, you can do Now, you might have a lot of trouble with that psychologically and emotionally. That's not something people get over easily. You know, these guys thump their chest and they act like, you know, they're going to, you know, they're macho and all that. Whatever. You got to live with the fact that you killed another person. But in, in the sight of God, you're not guilty. All right. So here, thou shalt not kill. It doesn't refer to this case. Verse 3, if the sun be risen upon him, there shall, be, there shall be bloodshed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So that's the difference between not knowing why the person is there and then walking on someone stealing something. Now, if you walk in on someone stealing something, of course, our, thankfully, our laws reflect this truth, generally speaking, or they're supposed to. If you... If, uh, in fact, I've heard, of, I've heard about cases where people walked in on, on, on uh, criminals committing crimes and the criminal ran out the door and they shot him in the back and they went to prison. And you know what? That's just according to the scripture. Now, we might not like it. The vengeance in us might not like it, but that's, that's just. But when somebody's running around your house at night, they're asking for it, Right? This is a permissible killing. Look at Numbers 35, if you would. Brother Vernon's back there fuming because I said I don't like to hunt. He thinks he's, I'm preaching at him. <laughs> he's going to send me a dirty letter. I'm just kidding. Yeah, just a picture of a gutted deer hanging upside down. Like I said, I go to the grocery store. Numbers 35, this is a chapter that deals with what is called manslaying. Manslaying is the biblical term for what we would call manslaughter. Okay, there is one more example of a permitted killing. In other words, a killing that does not require the, the shedding of the blood of the person who did it, and that is in the case of manslaughter. Now, in this case, however, I'm not going to go into all the details, but in this case, there was an avenger of blood, most likely a family member of that person who was accidentally killed. And he's going to come after that guy because this guy's dead. My brother, whatever, my son, my daughter is dead because you accidentally killed them. But there's a place where he can flee to refu for refuge, which is the cities of refuge. Now, drop down, if you would, to verse number... Um, Verse 30, the Bible says this. Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. Notice that. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. This is one truth about the Bible that people over, often overlook, which is the Bible, does, in the law, we know there are, there are a lot of crimes that God prescribes capital punishment for. Rape, uh, witchcraft, murder, of course. And there's there blasphemy against the, the name of the Lord. There's many others that in the law, God prescribed capital punishment. Here's the thing. But in order to inflict capital punishment, to take the life of a, of a criminal in that way, witnesses were required. It couldn't be just one guy stand up and say such, so and so happened. There had to be witnesses. You know, and that's a high bar. The, the Lord took this seriously. If you had to have witnesses to testify that they saw X, Y, and Z, 
It establishes the matter that it's true. But without those witnesses, according to the law, that punishment cannot be inflicted lawfully. So this is actually a high bar. No one could be put to death, even if they did it. Even if they did it. The innocent, I'm sorry, the guilty would be permitted to go free if there were no witnesses. And that's, that's also one of the characteristics of what is called jurisprudence in, in the United States law. Is that the prerogative is given to the guilty to go free so that the innocent are not falsely imprisoned. And that's based on scriptural principles. Verse 31 says this, Moreover, ye shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall be surely put to death. You see this? No lesser punishment than death is fitting for the crime of murder in God's, in God's economy, in God's estimation. Because the blood shed demands the murderer's blood be shed. We already saw that. And because... This man was made in God's image. Verse 31, again, it reminds us and demonstrates to us the fact that God said, He shall, but he shall be surely put to death. That sounds so, so abrasive, right, to our, our thinking. God not only says, thou shalt not kill, he also says, thou shalt kill the killer. Just as strictly. But again, it's not about God being mean. It's about God laying high value on the human life. That's your value. Listen, that's your value. And we're just talking about physical life here. Think about your soul. Your soul was, and my soul was so valuable that God himself was manifest in the flesh to die for it. You see, how valuable is my soul? You see this same picture. How valuable is your soul to God? This valuable. That God himself came down and was nailed to a cross for your soul. It's that precious. It's that precious. You know, people are often, people are often, uh, you know, sometimes have struggle with suicide, suicidal thoughts, you know, depression, and they feel like there's no hope. Sometimes it's vindictive, but sometimes it's they they, they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, they're they've gone through circumstances that are beyond our comprehension and in difficulty, and they feel like that. They feel like that. But let that be one anchor in our, in our heart and mind that we have on that cross a, a living testimony to the value of our soul to God. It wasn't a messenger of God on that cross. It was God himself. God himself. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was a demonstration. A demonstration. Now going back to verse 31 here. He shall be surely put to death. At this point is when 
unbelievers and, and, and uh, skeptics will look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, the sixth commandment, and they'll say, see, you have an inconsistency. You say you believe thou shalt not kill, but then look at all these places where, where you say people should be killed. Does it say you, thou shalt not kill or does it not say thou shalt not kill? And then they'll say, well, on the subject of capital punishment, which we, we looked at a minute ago, they'll say, see, you're trying to do a, a double wrong. Someone did wrong and you're trying to right the wrong by doing wrong again. By, because they killed someone, you're going to kill them, which is, which is in contradiction to what you said your Bible says. In other words, two, right, two wrongs don't make a right. You punish a killing with a killing. It's a double wrong. But again, anything less than that cheapens the value of that, that person who was killed, the victim. Now look at Matthew 5. As we move into the New Testament, you say, well, we live in the New Testament time. You remember, Jesus was under the law. He was born under the law. So everything we're reading here is consistent with the law, for He kept the law. Matthew 5, verse 21. Now, before I read this, I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all have ever seen one, some of these road rage videos that are passed around the Internet? You know, where, you know, the, the lady you know, is driving her little car and she's just, you know, her, her lane is merging and so she tries to get over and she gets, she gets over, maybe cuts off the guy a little too close and, and the guy slams on his brakes and slams it into park and flies out of his car and, uh, you know, starts beating on the window of the person there. At that point, my console's coming up and I'm reaching into it, not knowing what this fella's doing, you know, Brandishing can be helpful in some cases if you got crazy people beating on your car door. But what do you usually hear? I'm just, I'm just being honest here, right? When you see these videos, what do you usually hear? Is it nice when the guy flies out of his car and starts beating on the window? Is he usually saying, I want to break your window because I have some things I want to say to you. Will you please politely step out of your car so that we can have a word? No. No. Look at Matthew 5, 21. This is what you hear. I brought that up for a reason. Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. We read that. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now what he's talking about there is in, in Numbers 35, where we just, we didn't read the verse, but... There, when there was a murder, there was a, a council where the person who was accused would, would be judged. This is what it's talking about. All right, verse number 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. That's strong. Hell fire. This is, this is nothing less than a reference to the lake of fire. I mean, Revelation 20. Now we, honestly, when you read this, you probably think a lot like me. It's like, man, this seems 
kind of lopsided, right? Kind of like you just say jerk or whatever, and you know, you're going to hell. There's more to it than this, all right? When we read this, this passage, the Lord, in, in all of these cases, He talks about adultery later and, other, and other, other, other things in the law. He's trying to demonstrate, He's trying to, remember, we've already studied this. What comes, in, especially in our Sunday school, what comes out of the mouth comes from where? The heart. Notice that's what He's talking about. Who shall be angry, he shall say, whosoever shall say. Notice that, what's coming out of the mouth. It's a reflection of what's in the heart. That's what Jesus is concentrating on in this passage. He's, he's comparing the law. Now, in this case, this person who is angry with his brother, he says, raka, whatever, whatever that might mean. In other words, in its context, it's like saying fool, idiot, useless. He says, thou fool. Those are just words. Let me ask you a question. Verse 22, has this man committed murder? Yes or no? Are you following me? Has this person committed murder that has said these things? No, he has not committed murder. He has not violated the sixth commandment, but Jesus says he has. Inwardly. You know, you know why? Because this, if we were to give an equivalent to this, these are what I wrote, this is what I wrote down. These are the words of hatred. These, this is the speech of murder. And you'll see what I mean more in just a minute. But if I can compare it to a modern example, this, this represents, verse 22, is, is, is the words that you would hear when the guy steps out of his car with a metal pipe ready to bash the brains in of the person who cut him off. That's these words. That's what he's saying. We don't use these words in our modern vernacular, obviously. Well, like <laughs> somebody would laugh at you if you got out of the car and you were mad and you said, thou fool, you know. But the equivalent are what you see on those videos. Right before they bash the brains in of that person that they hate. You see what I'm saying? These are words of hatred. The Lord is pointing out the violation of the sixth commandment inside that person before they ever raise their hand. The speech of murder. Notice, I want you to note in verse 22 before we go to, to, to the next, next passage. At the end he says, Thou fool, whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. That's plain. The Lord is threatening. The Lord is clearly saying that the person who says these, these kinds of words to another is in danger of going to hellfire, the lake of fire, losing, without eternal life, cut off from God, eternally damned. That's strong. All right, look at 1 John chapter 3. As we were winding down, 1 John 3. Verse 11. We'll have one more passage after this, so hang in there. 1 John 3, verse 11. It says this, and For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Notice verse 12. Not as Cain. Who is Cain? Ah, you're right. You're following along. Very good. 
Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. Notice who's mentioned. Who's the wicked one? The devil. John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was the first murderer. Who did he murder at the beginning? He murdered Adam and Eve spiritually by tempting them to sin against God. And he was in Cain. He was of that wicked one. Cain killed his brother. He murdered them too. All right? And slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Notice, verse 12 talks about what Cain did. But what motivated Cain? Verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Now, how do you know that Cain hated his brother? (laughs) Trick question. How do you know that Cain hated Abel? Come on now. It is that simple. Just, you can say it. You won't be embarrassed. Because he killed him. (laughs) Exactly. We know that Cain hated Abel, obviously, because Cain killed Abel. He murdered him. Murder then, listen now, does not happen without hatred in the heart. That's what this is teaching. Murder doesn't happen without hatred and heart. Now, killing might by accident, manslaying, manslaughter. That happens without malice. But murder doesn't happen without hatred. Hatred comes in the heart first. That's what Jesus is talking about. Using the words as evidence of what's in the heart, right? In Matthew 5. So then we see that hatred is the root of murder as illustrated by Cain and Abel. And hatred is the heart, I'm using the term heart sin, that leads to actual murder. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, remember, that's in contrast to Cain. He says, verse 12, not as Cain, the opposite of Cain. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding him. Now look at at verse 15 again. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Stop. If I hate someone... According to this verse, I am a murderer, but have I committed murder? Also not a trick question. No. So according to the civil law, I'm innocent, right? Exodus 20, verse 13, I have not violated it. I have my little halo still intact. But according to God, look at what it it says. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. That's present tense. From God's perspective, he says, that guy is a murderer. He has violated Exodus 20, verse 13, even though according to civil law, he hasn't. Y'all follow me? In the sight of God, this man is guilty. Now, here's the truth we, we see from this. In verse 14, God says, what is the law 
that the Lord Jesus taught his disciples. We are his disciples. He taught us the law of love, right? To love one another. The new law, right? The new law he's, been, he's given to us is the law of love. That we should love one another. So even, we're not under this law. Here's, here's why we're not, we talked about the law at the very beginning when we started going through the Ten Commandments and we showed we're not under the law. As Christians, as especially non-Jewish Christians, we were never under the law at any point, right? We were never under the law. The law was given to the Jews on Mount Sinai. But we look at the law and we see God's standard of righteousness on the subject of murder. We see it. We say, this is what God thinks. We know it because we look at the law. But we don't need that law. You know why? Because as Christians, Sister Karen, you have God in you. And you know what he teaches you? To love. There's no room for hatred when you love someone. And so God doesn't teach us not to hate. He teaches us to love. Hate is thereby precluded. Right? It's replaced with love. Where there is love, there can be no hatred. God, we are taught of God to love one another. And in fact, verse number, uh, verse number 14 says, we know that we have passed from death unto life. Pay, pay attention. Because we love the brethren. In other words, love for others is a characteristic mark of the true child of God and something that if we do not possess it, it demonstrates that we are not God's child at all. One of the, one of the ways you can have assurance of your salvation is the fact that you love your brother. It is a true mark of, of Christ, biblical Christianity, of, of a child of God. It's one way we can have assurance. And where, love, where no love is, where love is, there can be no hatred. Notice what it says. He, verse 14, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. What is, what is the Lord saying here? What is John saying? He's saying, if you do not love your brother, it is a sign that you are not a Christian. You are not going to heaven. You are going to hellfire. That's what we just read in Matthew, right? The man who's saying all these things in hatred, you know what he's demonstrating? He doesn't have love. He, is, he, he has hate and he's in danger of hellfire. That's the, it. In other words, this in 1 John and Matthew 5 are saying the same thing. Verse 15, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding him. This is one reason why, listen. No Christian, no Christian should ever entertain hatred toward another person. Period. Full stop. No exceptions. No matter what they have done to you, no matter what they have done, no matter how wicked and evil they are, no Christian should entertain hatred. That is, the, that is one thing that God will root out of your heart if you, when, when you get saved. He will fix it. He will fix it. And you know what? There are, there are people that have gone through things that have given them grounds to hate. Hey, I mean to the point that if they could kill that person, they would kill them. And that person really might deserve it. But that cannot be found 
in the heart of a believer. And if it is, then it's a sign that person is not a, is not a true child of God. That's what the verses say. The last thing I want to point out is in Acts chapter 7, very quickly. Won't take long. This one kind of this this one example of the word murder. I did I wanted to come back to the gospel. You know what? Thou shalt not kill, murder. Jesus uses in the New Testament the word where when Jesus is quoting the Exodus 20, 13, he uses the, the, the term in the Bible as murder rather than kill. So it helps us understand what it means. But think of the gospel. <clears throat> Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. You know what? The gospel came to us by the human means of a murder. Acts 7.52, look what it says. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. From a human perspective, Jesus was on that cross. His blood was on the hands of those Jews primarily, and also of the Romans. And we know that he was, he was there because he voluntarily gave himself up. To that, to that end. From a human perspective, that's how the Lord accomplished it. God used a murder. Think about this. This, this is just blow your mind. God used a murder to save us from our sin. He used the very murder of those Jews that were, that were saying, crucify him, crucify him. That murder... Jesus was dying for that very murder that would put him on the cross. That's amazing that God can do that. Those people that were crying for Christ to be crucified, they were instigated and egged on by the father of murderers, the devil himself. Think about Cain. We just got done talking about. So you have a second murder. And there's a third murder at the cross. You know that? Jesus was a substitute for a murderer, Barabbas. He was a murderer. He had killed in his rebellion. Three murders, <laughs> listen, three murders in association with that cross upon which Christ died. All going back to Exodus 20, verse 13. That's amazing. That's amazing. We have the gospel because our Lord, from a human perspective, was murdered. Let's pray.